Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. And it's 10.07 in St. Louis. One more hour, KMOX at your service on a Monday night, filling in for the St. Louis Cardinals, who are in this spot most evenings this time of year. Hopefully they're having a nice break and can get back to some semblance of winning shortly. Speaking of winning, the restaurant scene in St. Louis. We were just talking about hiring, but let's, let's get down to the business of food. I've had kind of a food theme sort of woven throughout the night. But I saw this today. This is, this is a lot of fun. Um, don't know if you've ever been to the Eater St. Louis, St. Louis blog. And if you go to my uh, Twitter feed, it's at George Sells. And you can follow along with some of these. But we have got the 20 essential restaurants in St. Louis. And there's a lot here that does not fall into the, with the usual suspects. Joined now live by Holly Fan. Holly wrote this article. Holly, thank you for joining us here on St. L- on KMOX. Oh, thank you. This is a this is a delight to discuss my favorite topic. So you can't beat it. And I mean, who doesn't love to discuss <laughs> food? But, right. Of course, I'm going to be hungry when we're done with this. But what I found most interesting about your list, you know, we all know some of the some of the biggies. You know, Olive and Oak is mm-hmm. on everybody's list. Brasserie Niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of those those restaurants. But I'm, I'm looking at your top, let's just go with your top six here. Mm-hmm. And I was not aware of several of them. We ha- definitely haven't been to them. Uh, but I'll, I'll just real quickly, I'm going to go six to one and mm-hmm. uh, ask you just kind of give me a rundown on each. Uh, sure. Let's start with Chiang Mai on Big Bend in Webster Grove. Okay. Yeah. Chiang Mai is interesting. I, I, will, I will just, Specify and say the numbering system is a little unclear the way that the uh, the website shows it. The numbers are only meant to coordinate with the map, the Eater map, to show you where the locations are in St. Louis. So it actually is not in uh, any particular order. Okay. Um, it, it could be a random order, but uh, so I, I know that Brasserie today had mentioned they're like we're number twelve, and I said, oh no, no, it's not. You're not a specific number, so. But um, Chiang Mai, yeah, it's uh, Chiang Mai is is probably one of the best Thai restaurants St. Louis has ever seen. It is it is fan flippantastic. Um, the woman who uh, who's the chef Sue Hill is a I don't even it's it's hard to even express how much of a master a mastery she has of of Thai food, especially. Uh, 
Thai food from the Chiang Mai region, which is where she's from. Uh, her parents, or her mother, I should say, and her grandmother both cooked for the royal household um, in Chiang Mai, and that is where she learned to cook. So wow. she has royal cooking in her blood. Yeah, I mean, and these are things that you don't assume when you go into a restaurant, you know, in Webster Groves and Old Orchard. You don't assume that that the chef is, is has cooked for royalty and is was a member of the royal household. It's it's those sort of those sort of backstories I think that make that make the food and dining community so interesting. But yeah, Chiang Mai is is absolutely a, a, a shining star. It's a can't miss. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to back off of the numbers now. We're not going to talk since these are not rankings. We will not talk about them as such. So we continue sure. in no particular order. Uh, okay. Nudo uh, House on Olive Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah, Nudo is fantastic. Nudo is um, is run by Kui Tran and his family, um, and it, it, it Kui does everything the right way. Uh, he runs his restaurants. He develops his R and D for his food. He the way he cooks, the way he interacts with uh, guests. It's all the most professional way and the most courteous way to run to run a business. Um, every he, everything he does is labor intensive. He cuts no corners. And what I talk about in the eater piece is the opening of Nudo, which was a ramen joint. And everyone knows Kui for his pho, for his Vietnamese pho that he has at Mai Li. And uh, it was on the cover of Food and Wine. It was, you know, that's, that's what he's known for. So what happens then when a master of pho decides to open a ramen place? He, he gets help. So I um I talk about how uh how he hired one of the four no they're called ramen gods um but one of the four ramen gods in the world um they hired to help do their R&D and they worked with a uh, a very famous ramen noodle factory to to make their noodles and it took them years to perfect their ramen styles and all the work and all the effort and all the detail you can taste in every bowl it is it's significant. It's really, uh, it's really good stuff. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm having too much fun here, and I'm not getting through these nearly effic- as efficiently as I would like. Not efficiently, <laughs> but I'm like, it's just it, there's so much more to get to cover, and we don't have enough time. So, can you sure. hang on through? Can you hang on through the break? And we'll come yeah, back and we'll absolutely. do some more of this after the commercial. Perfect. Absolutely. 10:13 in downtown St. Louis. We will be back with more of the essential restaurants of St. Louis here on KMOX. All the news and all that matters to you. The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. 1018 on KMOX. I'm George Sells, and we are continuing our jaunt through the 20 essential St. Louis restaurants. Article written by for Eater St. Louis by our guest, Holly Fan. Holly, thanks for sticking around through the break. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to pick this up here. Mm-hmm. Tiny Chef at the Silver Ballroom. You had me at a punk rock pinball bar located in an historic, historically Bosnian neighborhood. Yeah, right? Isn't that crazy? I'm glad, Tell me about <laughs> I'm glad this. you enjoyed that. Yeah, um, the Silver Ballroom is this amazing pinball punk rock bar that is, uh, it's it's got a great jukebox. It's got great booze. It's got a great atmosphere. And now it has a amazing chef uh, making great Korean dishes out of their tiny little kitchen. Um, it's it's all food that seems very 
intentional and personal. It's not food that is going to, you know, blow your mind with um, complicated plating or it's, you know, it's not going to be super hyper trendy, but it's, it's classic sort of Korean comfort food. And it just happens to be served out of the back of a pinball bar. <laughs> so it, it works out great. Um, you can listen to the jukebox or you can get anything to go. But uh, Melanie Meyer, who, who is Chinese chef, uh, is making amazing food. She is doing a, a Korean crab boil right now, which is stellar and Ooh. knocking people's socks off. That is, uh, so if you, you kind of like a little bit of spice to your you know, seafood boils, it's the perfect the perfect dish for for people like that it's great that sounds stuff. awesome uh so yeah it's really good we're, we're all sitting in here talking about how hungry you're making us by the way so this is gonna be like <laughs> everybody's gonna be running for a restaurant when we get out of here at 11 o'clock uh next one i want to ask you about is el toluco taqueria and grocery this sounds like yeah. a great place to to little small spot to dive in and take home some souvenirs absolutely yeah you're absolutely correct it's um the first time I wrote about El Toluco was a few years ago, and at that time they just had a dining room that was sort of an empty room attached to a, 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 their shop, and it had maybe two tables and a broken freezer in it. <laughs> it was very, very pragmatic. It was very bare bones. And over time they built such a following because their food and their tacos and their tortas are so immensely good. Um, everything they use is hyper-fresh. It's just, it's, it's stunning food. It's fantastic tacos. And just by word of mouth, they have built up a reputation. And now they're sort of a this full-blown small restaurant. Um, and, uh, but they're not easy to find because they're, they're sort of tucked away from the street. Um, so it's, it's lists like this, hopefully, that will get them more exposure. Okay. Now, we've done some of the off-the-beaten-path and around-the-corner spots. Yeah. But they, for those who want the fine dining, those are yeah. here too. Uh, yeah. Casa Don Alfonso is the, the latest yeah. version of a restaurant at the Ritz in Clayton. Yeah. Tell me about this grill. That place is stunningly gorgeous. It is, um, I don't know if you remember the old, the old Ritz-Carlton dining room, the, the grill, the fine dining. It was sort of this dour, dark, imposing place with, with dark wood-paneled walls. Uh, very, you know, I shouldn't say stuffy, but I'm just going to say stuffy, um, you know, sort of tuxedo don servers. And they gutted the place and built this light-filled, gorgeous, huge restaurant that has a wood-burning oven and hand-painted uh, self-tiles, blue tiles running through the kitchen. It's it's beautiful. The food is fantastic. It is um it's the first American Italian restaurant by uh, a two Michelin starred uh, family that, or I should say a restaurant touring family. Um, but they decided St. Louis was the place they wanted, they wanted to do this. So we're very, very lucky. Is but this the food new? is all, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just this spring it opened. Okay. So um, it was under renovation for a long time, but it's, it serves amazing Italian food um, from, uh, from around the region of the Amalfi Coast. So lots of seafood uh, and just lots of hearty dishes. But it's, it's beautiful. It's uncluttered. The tastes are, and the flavors are, are clean and, and, and really bright and profound. It's, 
it's good stuff. And they make a killer pizza. <laughs> so it's nice. um, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, they make amazing uh, Neapolitan-style pizzas there, too. So. Well, we've, we've been staying kind of at the surface. I, w- I want to go up to 30,000 feet for a second and ask mm-hmm. you about the challenge of preparing a list like this and probably the changes that have come along the way yeah. in a year coming out of COVID-19 where the restaurant yeah. industry has been decimated. Yeah, that's a great question. That's actually, it. yeah, this was the hardest year uh, that restaurants have faced. I was listening to you talk to Matt about the uh, about the shortage, the staffing shortage right now, which is, is pretty brutal. Um, my background has always been as a, well, my background for most of my life was as a chef. And so my heart is, is with restaurateurs and, and the people that make it happen every day. So what I want to do or what I set out to do, hopefully, was to write a list that sort of represented the very diverse cross-section, not only geographically um, and not only sort of what culinary offerings we have in St. Louis, but also places, like you mentioned, that are small and tiny, as well as fine dining, white tablecloth, high-end places. Because that's the great thing about St. Louis. It's not all fine dining. It's not all, um, you know, casual eateries either. It's We, we have this amazing mix here of, uh, of pretty much everything you could ever want, ever. <laughs> so... It's um, the list. Hopefully, is representative of, of, a, of a great cross section. But it was definitely hard to fit um, within the parameters of who was open, who knew they were going to be open uh, when this published. There were a lot of questions that that owners just couldn't answer yet. So, sadly, that that limited also, you know, the list who could be on the list um, for just the, those sort of those factors had to be worked in. Any uh, any favorites of yours that we lost over the last year or two? Oh gosh, you know I spent so much of the year writing about places that closed. I, I kid you not. I think I blocked it all out of my mind. It was so traumatic. <laughs> oh my god! Um, it was just a horrible. Uh, it was a horrible experience because you know people. This is their their life's work. Um, you know I I'm more happy to see places that I was worried about that really found ways to pivot and, and found ways to make their businesses successful and whether or not they were just sort of squeaking by during these last few months or this last year, or they were actually really doing well and thriving. It's just nice to see some of my favorites still around, you okay. know, that's, that's the best thing to see. And the last, last question for you, the world, yeah. is, com- the world is coming to an end tomorrow. And you get to oh, no. have Thank one you for last me know. meal. Where are you going? If I'm in St. Louis, um, in all, well, can I? I'm going to make it. I'll complicate it a little. I will. I'll head to Planner's House first for cocktails. Um, that is is hands down. I think one of the best cocktail bars in the nation. And after that, I'd probably go to Little Fox, which is one of my favorite sort of neighborhood restaurants in the Fox Park neighborhood that's it's unpretentious it's delicious food it's one of those places that you go to and you just feel really good and everyone around you feels good and it's that beautiful sound of of silverware sort of clanging and laughter and glasses of wine you know clinking together it's it's all the elements that make dining what it is 
supposed to be. Just a great communal experience. So that's where I'd go, and I'd probably spend a lot of money. (laughs) Amen to that. Well, Holly Pham, thank you so much for taking the time with us tonight. Again, folks, if you want to see the whole list for yourself, uh, I'm at George Sells on Twitter. I've tweeted the link, so go get it and get to work on these restaurants. Holly, thank you so much for joining us on KMOX. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's Cardinals baseball Tuesday night as they take on the Tigers in Detroit. You can hear it here. Hammond pregame show 515. First pitch 610 on your voice at the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. And we're back. KMOX at your service on a Monday night, filling in the spot you would normally be listening to the St. Louis Cardinals. And the way they've been playing, maybe it's best we're not listening to the St. Louis Cardinals tonight. They're resting. They'll be back tomorrow. you got me, George Sells, with you all through the evening up until 11 o'clock. And we've been talking about a number of things that are sort of post-pandemic, if you will. And one of them that I've been dealing with, my family's been dealing with, I'm sure yours has too, involves tipping at restaurants, particularly with carryout and that sort of thing. I can tell you for myself... Throughout this whole ordeal, we have tried, my family has tried to get out to restaurants as much as possible, take in their curbside or their self-serve or carry-out offerings, anything we could, and then we always wanted to tip them well because we know that they were taking a beating because most of the restaurants were closed. The question now, what do you do as things come back to normal? Do you go back to normal? So I have sought out an international etiquette expert. That is Diane Gottsman. She is joining me now on the guest line. Diane, thank you for joining us on KMOX. Well, thank you for having me. Well, Diane, just tell me first off, uh, you heard my dilemma, and I think it's one a lot of people are dealing with. As you move forward and things normalize, how do you go about tipping? What is your approach? I mean, are you trying to help folks make up for lost time, or do you just kind of go back to normal? Right. Well, that's a really good question. And, you know, you were right when you said when we were tipping at curb service, we were masked, gloved. We were in, you know, really we're in a a state of shock. We were and people had lost their jobs and they were working very short hours. We were feeling very compassionate, empathetic and, and generous. And while I still think we should have the same feeling of compassion and empathy, As things go back to normal and the restaurants open and you are going back to your daily routine, when you are picking up your, your, let's say you still go pick up a a curbside order or somebody delivers it to your house, you would tip respectfully. And what that means is where you might have given um, a lot extra before, (laughs) you know, even though it was hard for you because you might possibly have lost your job. I think that you consider your budget. You consider the effort they um, are making. You consider are they driving? Are, are they driving across town to help you? Which sometimes we don't know if it's delivery, but there is a standard, and the standard would be anywhere from five dollars to twenty percent. If it was a big order, you have ordered. Uh, let's say you're back at the office and you've ordered thirty box lunches, and you know they have put it together. They're carrying it up. They're bringing it upstairs. There's a there's a, a variable, you know, and it's a sliding scale. So I think the bottom line is you think respectfully, you think compassionately, and you do what you feel is right. 
tell me this. What is the standard? Because I always feel weird. Like when I when I pick something up at a restaurant, I order ahead and I go pick up my carry out meal. They didn't wait on me at the table. They didn't bring me anything. They basically went back to the kitchen, grabbed it, and handed it to me. I always leave something, but I never quite know what the right thing to do is. Then this goes back even before the pandemic. I was always kind of at a loss. Like, is it ten percent? Is it a couple of bucks? What, what do you think that? Where do you think that runs? Again, I think that here's an example. I can I can answer it best with an example. So I walk into a. a, a takeout restaurant it's a fast food restaurant and and i'm watching them put it together they're throwing they're they're cooking it in the back right in front of you they're somebody else is putting it in a styrofoam back box they gave me a knife and fork plastic and hand it to me okay now what do i tip there was some effort involved in that it wasn't a huge deal of effort um these people behind the counter are getting paid hourly they're not getting paid a, a, a lower wage and they're and they're counting on gratuity so if you want to leave a couple of dollars that's great if the servers are waiting on you and they don't have, um, you know, they are relying on that as part of their income. That's what you take into consideration. So, so again, it's a sliding scale. You might leave them a couple of dollars. You may decide, let's say you go to a coffee shop and they pour you a cup of coffee, hand it to you, turn the app around, and it says 20%, 30% custom tip. No tip. I feel like we have to be comfortable sometimes with discomfort they understand if you know people will understand not everyone is going to tip or you might leave the extra change that they give you back if you're paying cash you know in that tip jar that was not an obligation you know pre-covid that tip jar was not an obligation during covid if you picked something up and there was a tip jar you wanted to do a little more now you're just really going to use your best judgment on what you feel the best the, how much effort they put into it and how much, you know, how much you feel that you want to, that you want to tip. I got to tell you another now, one. If you're sitting down at a table, that's a different story. You know, 18% to 20% is standard and that's standard. Uh, now, you know, we used to say 15 to 20%. It's just a few points, but 15% is low average. 20% is actually the norm. And, and if you want to give above and beyond, and that's not takeout, that's, that's the gratuity at a restaurant. I got to tell you one thing that does drive me absolutely nuts these days is the new software where you use your car after you buy your kids a couple of ice cream cones or something like that. And the thing pops up and automatically gives you those choices for a tip, 15%, 20%, 25%, custom, yeah. all that. I mean, some places, where did I see it? I saw it one day like at a grocery store or something. I'm like, there's nothing here that involves a tip that I can see. It makes me crazy. Exactly. It's, it's, it's pressure tipping. And, you know, really the person behind the counter isn't doing it. It's the app. They, I have been told by these same people who are handing you the ice cream cone, if you will, that they feel uncomfortable just like you do. Because So that's why there's that little tip jar off to the side. If you want to pa- here's what I think. Carry some cash. If you know you're going to places like that, just pay cash. If they give you, you know, 60 cents back or if you want to give them a dollar, give them a dollar. They're maybe high school kids working there, you know, um, I think we do, we want to do what's nice, what's kind, what's right, but we don't want to feel pressured into tipping when there is not a real service provided. That's the key. Diane Gottsman, she is an international etiquette expert. We thank you so much for joining us on KMOX. Thanks for having me. 
And it is 1041 downtown under the arch. Work or play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. It's 1045. Coming down the stretch here on KMOX at your service this Monday night. New list out. I usually do not fall victim to these lists because they're total clickbait. You know, the ones you see on Twitter and Facebook, they're the most likely to do this and greatest to do that. And, you know, this city has the best barbecue and everybody gets goes crazy because Kansas City isn't on it and they get offended and they talk about it for three days and give the thing more attention than it deserves. Well, there, there's one today. That I, I'm buying in on this one because of a couple of reasons. Number one, it's supposedly based on census data, which is like real and not somebody pulling something out of their backside. And also because it talks about when people leave St. Louis, where they're most likely to go. That's interesting to me. Now, sitting across from me, producer Nathan Piercy, is, this is his last day here. So Nathan is moving. And while we have this list, I guarantee that Fairfield, Iowa, is probably not on the list. So how does it feel to be the only person moving to Fairfield, Iowa? <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far as the only one, um, but it, it, it definitely feels weird, definitely going to a, a much smaller area and you know not a metropolitan area either. So that's that's going to take a little bit of getting used to, but uh, overall it's it's pretty exciting, you know, taking this next step in my career is the main, main reason for it. Nathan will be cutting his teeth on sports play-by-play <laughs> and he will be – back to uh, take John Rooney's job sometime in uh, five or ten years. (laughs) So Nathan's heading to Fairfield. Where are other St. Louisans who move away going? And some of these are are not surprising. Some of them are a little weird, and the placement was weird on some of them. Uh, Number 15 was Springfield, Illinois. Now, okay, it's a seat of government. I guess that's a place to move to if you get a job with the state of Illinois, but it doesn't seem all that attractive. 14 is Atlanta. Okay, hot southern market, lots of jobs. I totally get that one. 13 surprised me because of how low it was. Any guesses on number 13 that you would think would be higher? What would you think would be super high? I'm I'm putting Nathan on the spot. Oh, you got me stumped here. I got him stumped. Okay. Maybe I'm just not thinking it right. It's Denver. Now, I feel like... Everybody I know has moved to Denver the last, like, five years. I mean, my, some of my kids' best friends have moved to Denver, like, completely unrelated to one another. Everybody's going to Denver. Was your comment about it being higher the I altitude be, or higher on the list? Higher the altitude, <laughs> higher on the list, higher for what they sell legally that they don't sell. No, I was meaning higher on the list at number one. You can get that across the river now. <laughs> True that. I was thinking, though, I, I really was thinking Denver would be, like, in the top two or three because it seems like a lot of people are going there. Uh, Tampa. Okay. Number 12, Tampa. That's nice place. It's Florida. It's nice weather. Hurricanes are no fun. And then uh, bunched in there. Number 11 is Miami. So we, we kind of have our, our little run of Florida, Florida cities. There was just in Florida. It was very hot and much more humid. I don't know. I, I don't know if the ocean is enough for me. I'm trying to think about that. If, if being close to the beach is enough to make me want to deal with everything else, like, seeing the people in person who were in all those Florida man memes. (laughs) That's always entertaining. Then the next one, okay, Jefferson City. I mean, I know it's the state capital, but do people live in Jefferson City? 
I thought they lived in Columbia and commuted down if they worked for the state. But apparently Jeff is doing okay. They're they're drawing in a lot of people from the St. Louis area. I guess those government jobs. Cape Girardeau surprised me and didn't. Like Cape Girardeau at number nine. I'm sure a lot of the moves are kids going to SEMO. That makes sense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, smaller smaller place, not as much of an attraction. Uh, Washington, D.C. I don't know anybody who's moved to D.C. other than a few folks working in politics, but I wouldn't think it would be enough to, like, move census data significantly. But there you go. A lot of people uh, from from St. Louis are moving to Washington. Meanwhile, they also give you the kind of the converse, like, what is where does St. Louis fall in the most common places that Washingtonians are moving. And we're number 49 for Washington. So they're a little more attractive for us than we are for them, apparently. How about Phoenix? That's a that's a strong play for the retiring set. If you want to live in 120-degree weather for the rest of your life, I can see where that might be entertaining. But yeah, I've, the, the whole desert thing never was attractive to me. My aunt moved down there from Vermont, and I'm like, if you've been in Vermont, Vermont's beautiful. And you have four seasons and all that stuff. Phoenix, you know, a really bad baseball team and a lot of heat. I just, I, I can't see that one. Houston is another one. They're at number six. Now we're getting pretty high on the list. Got a friend who's moved to Houston in the last couple of years. So I, I it touches home with me. I can kind of see that. But, uh, and again, nobody from Houston moving to St. Louis. We're number 47. <laughs> so... Then we move up. Now we get to the top five. Drum roll, please. Number five, not surprising at all, Kansas City. People are going to migrate. People will go to school, a job. You've just got all sorts of things that you can get into get into work on in Kansas City from here. So that one's I can see that one. Number four, this is all college kids, but Columbia. And Como's cool. I mean, that, that's a good town. That's, that's also, if you're going to work in Jefferson City, I would suggest Columbia. I'm going to get angry tweets from the... Jefferson City people, I bet. Sorry, go Jays, but, you know, it's not really – I just can't see it still. But uh, Columbia, definitely. That's a good spot. That's a cool town. If I was going to live in a non-large metro area, and I've always been a fan of big cities. My wife and I have – that's our thing. Our kids are the same way. It's just what we like. And I've always been a fan of these bigger places. But if I was going to live in a smaller city – uh, Columbia would be probably at the top of that list. There's a lot of cool stuff going on over there. And, uh, and that's even before you get into Mizzou and everything that goes with that. But that's Columbia is a cool town, and I could totally see myself there. Number three on the list. Let's see. We're getting to number three, number two, and number one. Number – and I'll, 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 I'll start with this. Number three – I would have never put in the top 10. Number two, I don't know that I would have put there. Number one, I would have guessed to be number one. So, Nathan, you've been following along. Do you have any, do you have any guesses? Are they larger markets than St. Louis, like in terms of metro and like maybe media markets? Two, yes one, two yes, one no. Well, I feel like New York or L.A. might be up, up or at least those areas, or maybe even Chicago. New York and L.A. were not even in the top 15. Okay, well. But you hit number one. Ding, ding. Chicago, Chicago was the number one. That's not surprising at all. That's like the bigger city up the road. I mean, I would. it's a great town. 
I would be hesitant to have to be exposed to that many Cubs fans on a regular basis, <laughs> like daily. I would be running around in my Cardinals gear every day. Yeah, and you would get into a lot of fights, I have a feeling. Yeah, I can handle my own. Yeah, true. No doubt. You're not seeing Nathan here, but you don't want to mess with Nathan in a dark alley. Um, so you folks in Fairfield, Iowa better watch out. Okay, so. number I'm trying to think of, like, destinations where people would go to, like, retire maybe. Right. Number I'm just going to tell you, number three is bigger than us. Number two is smaller than us. And I don't know that I would have guessed either one to be in the top three if you just told me to try to guess. Hmm. Um, Orlando? Nope. Oh. I was just in Orlando, too. Disney's okay, but good God, it's hot. Wouldn't want that. Have I been close with any, like, geographically close with any of my, with okay. any of my guesses? I will give you, uh, let's see, what kind of hint can I give you about this? Um, region? What region of the country? Southwest is one, and uh, let's do drives. One is a 10-hour drive from here, and one is about a three-hour drive from here. Well, you lost me now. Um, one's a three-hour drive from here. Yeah, I'm trying to think of that one. What would be Is it Branson? Close. Ding, ding, ding. You're getting Lake, warmer. Uh, Lake of the Ozarks. Getting warmer, but not there yet. Springfield, Missouri. There you go, Springfield, Mo. That one kind of surprised okay. me. I mean, again, it's like yeah, That's odd. yeah. Southwest Missouri, uh, or excuse me, Missouri State. Forgive me for dating myself and using the old name. I get that. And I mean, it's a nice town. I just, uh, I'm surprised that that is the number two place that everybody from St. Louis is moving to. And so now we're left with number three, a 10 hour drive and you would drive through Springfield to get there. That's your final hint. Is it in Oklahoma? No. Oh, oh bigger that's, market. That's, that's bigger market than St. Louis. But you you're getting drive through. Now I'm trying to think of where you go down. My my ge- geography is not the best. I should have had this song. Like yeah, no kidding. I, 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 I you kind Number of lost three me on the list, and the final one that we didn't get is Dallas, Texas. I definitely thought that was longer than 10 hours away, so that's why I wasn't even thinking about that. Well, I've done it in 10 hours. I guess I drive too fast, though. <laughs> but I have done that in 10 hours with the Simazoo and the Cotton Bowl. But uh, So that's it. That's your list. There's your top 15. That's where your friends are going if they decide to move away, unless it's Nathan, of course, who is going to Fairfield, Iowa. So <laughs> it's always the, the migrations are always interesting. 10.56 is your time. We have gone. We've covered a lot of ground tonight. Thank you very much for joining us here on KMOX at your service. Once again, tomorrow night, you will be rejoined by your St. Louis Cardinals who hopefully will produce something more than uh, what we've been seeing for the last uh, last week or so. Ooh, and we're going to go out rolling out with a little police. Is there any significance to the police being your final song? No, it's kind of a next play, but I like this. I like the song too. So spirits in the material world. Good night. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month, with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.